0: Dear friends in Christ, dear friends of the cross, you can tell a lot about a person's character by whom their friends are. Now, I don't know if that's some sort of famous saying, if that's an internet meme, or it's just something my parents said to me. And it it's not that they just said that to me, It's. It's I could tell they believed it by the questions they would ask me. Questions that then when I had children like Jennifer, I would ask her and her sister and brothers like, oh, so what did you guys do last night? Ah, who was all there? Uh, oh, OK. Well, who are you texting right now? Who, who are you getting together with? What are you doing? Well, where do they live? What do their parents do? Where do they go to church? Now, it, it wasn't that I had this checklist that every every box had to be checked, otherwise you weren't allowed to be be friends with, with certain people. It's just that I knew something that my parents knew, and that is who your friends are. Well, they have a lot of influence on what you're doing, what you're pursuing, what you believe, what kind of things that you're into. Well, in this Lenten theme of fighting temptation, we know that the answer when we do fall into temptation and sin is to go to the cross of Christ and to find complete absolution for our sins, knowing Jesus paid for them all there. So this morning, we're going to take a look at what it's like to live as a friend of the cross and find other friends of the cross there as well. And we'll do so at looking at this section here in Philippians, and and maybe a couple verses earlier in chapter 3. You see, there were a couple of groups of of people you wouldn't necessarily want to be friends with if you lived in the city of Philippi. And, And one of them... Paul describes a little bit earlier in this chapter this way. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Now we'll talk about that group in kind of a little bit from now. But for now, let's just just call these people the kind of self-righteous, work-righteous group. And and then there's another group to watch out for. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. All right, we'll call these people the the worldly righteous, the the self-lovers. And and both groups uh, are people that we might want to watch out for. Not just living in Philippi back then, but in Chattanooga today. Now, Paul says, well, he doesn't say, you know, unfriend or, or, or unfollow or defriend people like this. But, but he does say by something he, he writes here that we'll go back to, there might be a, another group of people that you might want to follow along with and, and be friends with. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead... I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All right, let's take a look at the two different groups, the the work righteous, the self-righteous in the city of Philippi that very well may exist today as well. Back then, they were called the Judaizers. They were people with a Jewish background who knew the laws of God but then added To the laws of God. In fact, the laws that they followed were were God's laws put on steroids. They were all sorts of man made regulations, kind of like the the Pharisees we met in the gospel reading for today. People that said, okay, this is how you are a devout follower of the one true God. You do this and and you do that. You, You don't eat these foods, you don't drink these drinks. So, so people today, this is the radio station your, your car radio must be tuned to. This is the, the playlist on Spotify you have to listen to. This is how you worship. This is the only way to worship. This is what you dress like. This is what you, you look like. This is how you act. And it's a bunch of man-made rules that are set up by you. And then you follow them. And you say, see, I'm righteous. But you're self-righteous. You are works-righteous. And Paul actually calls these people, these good people, enemies of the cross because they've taken their works and they've replaced them with Jesus' sacrifice. It's almost as if they said, Thank you, Jesus, for, for going to the cross and, and dying there full of my guilt and paying for it. But that wasn't quite enough. There's still a lot of things I need to do. And as I do them, now I consider myself right in the eyes of God. That's one end of the pendulum. The other was people whose God was their stomach. Now keep in mind in the ancient Greek world that when people talked about their stomach, they talked about it the same way that we talk about our heart today. We would say that our heart hurts when we hear somebody going through a tragedy. Our heart goes out for somebody going through a particularly tough time. Or we might say, I have a heart for little children. That's why I went into early childhood education. Or I have a heart for those in need and, and, and that's kind of directed me towards social work. So a person's heart today And their stomach back then was the seat of their emotions and their drive. So someone whose God was their stomach was someone who was driven by their sinful desires. Now I'm going to show my age here a little bit, but I don't know if you have heard of the TV character Eddie Haskell. Leave it to Beaver was a little bit before my time, but the, the legend of Eddie Haskell and that name still exists today uh, of someone that, sure, on the outside seemed like a, a sweet guy, almost sickeningly sweet and, and insincere. Oh, you look lovely today, Mrs. Cleaver. I love the dress that you're wearing. Meanwhile, you knew he was scheming behind their backs, and she knew it too, to do some get Wally and the Beaver in trouble. So... There's people that look good on the, on the outside, but, but it's the inside where they're corrupted. And Jesus himself talks about that in the Gospel of Mark 7, where he says, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. So someone whose God is their stomach is someone who pursues theft and murder and immorality. Someone who is driven by envy and, and greed. Somebody that is into lewdness and envy and slander. These are the people that our parents warned us about. And this is also us. Because we can go both ends of that pendulum and say, see, we're righteous before God because we've prayed, we've paid, we've obeyed a whole lot better than a lot of people. That's what makes me right with God. Or we can go to the other way and just dive on whatever sinful impulse we have at the moment. We have lived as enemies of the cross of Christ, and so we thank God for the cross that Jesus went to in our place. We, we thank God that Jesus went there and took upon himself all our guilt, all the accusations of everything we've ever done wrong, and he took it on himself, and he paid for it there. We thank God that, that Jesus went there and offered up the perfect sacrifice, his perfect life of love. And yes, we do thank God for the cross of Christ. And that's why we gather around the cross on on Sunday mornings. We're so thankful for the cross of Christ that we want to go there and and worship him and, and praise him for what he did there. And that, that deep appreciation for what Jesus did on the cross fills us with uh, the spirit of the cross. And what does it mean to live like according to the spirit, according to the spirit of the cross? Well, it's to live a life that knows Christ more deeply and imitates him more fully. And it's not easy. It's why the Apostle Paul when he was encouraging people not to live as enemies of the cross but as friends says you've got to strain you've got to press on you have to move forward and he compares it to an athletic contest that went into triple overtime or or, or it's like running a marathon if you're going to live your whole life as a friend of the cross you're going to need friends now it and realize it doesn't look like it, but about seven to ten years ago, for four straight years, I ran in a 5K race, even though I'm philosophically opposed to running as an enjoyable form of exercise. It was the turkey trot, and it was, you know, run every every year on Thanksgiving Day, and it seemed like a good thing to train for and then run uh, right before you sat down for Thanksgiving dinner. I needed a little help, though, so I got Jennifer's sister. I know Jennifer's a runner, but her sister Marissa's even more of a runner, and she would coach me up. And then the day of the race, she, she ran next to me that first race. See, I, I never really did have any kind of a good time, not even for my age group. But, but the year that she ran next to me, encouraging me, come on, Dad, you can do it. Only one more big hill, Dad. Uh, and then the next year... I, I didn't want to bog her down, so I just you go yourself. You, you run yourself, and, and I'll just run by myself. And guess which year I had the better time? The year that I had somebody next to me, encouraging me, urging me on to, to strain and, and press on. See, I think that's what my, my parents meant when they were wondering what kind of friends I was hanging out with. Who's next to you? What are they saying to you? What are they encouraging you to do? The Apostle Paul says, Join with others in following my example, brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. That almost sounds like a mentor program. And really it leads us to ask two questions. Just exactly who are we listening to? Who are we looking at when it comes to our spiritual growth? our spiritual walk with God, our spiritual maturity. And if somebody's looking at us, what do they see? You know, I kind of feel sorry for those those churches that don't have a season of Lent. Only because Lent, boy, that's where you see the full extent of Jesus' love. You see it at the cross, where he laid down his life for us. See, when you look to Jesus on the cross, not only do you see how every single one of of your transgressions, of your misfires, every single one of them is picked up for and paid by Jesus. And, And when you look to the cross, that's where you can see just how valuable you are as a redeemed, loved child of God. And when you look to the cross, you see something else you get the motivation and the strength and the empowerment you need to live your whole life as a friend of the cross and be a friend to others. I mean, when you look to Jesus humbly taking upon sin on the cross, then you can't help but follow his pattern and be humble like he is. When you look to Jesus taking care of everyone in the world's needs up there on the cross, then that's going to fill you with a heart to to help other people in their need. When you look to the cross of Christ, then you are going to see that Jesus' full extent of his love is there. And then you'll find other friends of the cross gathered there with you, and you'll bring others to the cross And that's some pretty good company to keep. Amen.